Welcome to Kevin Connors podcast. This series of messages on the book of Ezekiel were recorded in Malaysia in August 2010. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentary on the book of Ezekiel, available in paperback and ebook formats from Amazon.com and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. I often tell God that when I was sick, I said, Lord, I'm not complaining. I've had a wonderful 82 years, but I am explaining. Anyway, well, good afternoon, everybody. Everybody happy? Well, so see, good to see you all again and welcome you to the consecration camp. Uh, but I, I hope it's not just being information to the mind, uh, because being a teacher, you know, I just pray, Lord, uh, help it not just to be information to the mind, but formation of the character. And uh, otherwise, you know, it's just, it's a head trip. And uh, I'd, I'd rather touch your heart too. So I want to get to your he- head. Uh, one brother said to me years ago, he's going to be with the Lord. And uh, he said, uh, true teaching and preaching is uh, to do three things. He said, it's, it, number one is to inform the mind. Uh, number two, stir the emotions. Number three, move the will to action. And so that's helped me. So he said, if it's just uh, inf- information in the mind, it's a mind trip. Or if it's uh, like some Pentecostal church, it's an emotional trip. Or if it's will, only it's stoic. Yeah, I'll do it if it kills me. So no, touch the whole man. All right, well, praise God. Did, uh, you, you prayed. You put the blessing on me, didn't you? Okay, I receive it. <laughs> and back to you. Okay, so what we want to do this, uh, this afternoon, we probably take a little bit longer this afternoon, it depends on questions. I want you to turn to, um, uh, have we got the list there, Dr. Noll? Uh, the, the list of the sessions we've done, not to... Uh, yes, okay, so what we've done so far... Uh, Old Testament survey, Ezekiel's call and commission, the glory leaving the Old Testament uh, temple, the prophecies concerning Gentile nations, Messianic prophecies, restoration of Israel. Uh, Today I want to do number six, uh, beginning a new generation. Then we did Gog and Magog yesterday. And uh, then number eight and nine, we're going to weave them together. What about Ezekiel's new temple? So I want to do this on beginning a new generation. So I'd like you to turn to... uh, Page 666, no, 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 that's my box number. Don't you believe it? I want you to turn to page, what do we want? Uh, number six, oh, I haven't got a page, have I? 24. Oh, thank you, I had it on my notes there. I write in tongues and I couldn't understand it. Now, in these chapters here, and uh, I haven't got them on your, on, uh, on your text altogether, but uh, I want you to put then the, these chapters. We missed the, missed the other day. So I want to talk about beginning a new generation. And as I do, I'm going to share a little bit of what, I, what I've gone through over the years, uh, just a little bit. And uh, if it doesn't help you, I hope that it'll help you to help others because uh, uh, a lot of young people, when I was a bit younger, came to me and said, well, Brother Connie, you don't understand what they've gone through, and I let them go talk for about an hour or so, and then I say, well, I think I do. So uh, if you can keep that in mind, it may not be applicable to you, but uh, it's going to answer, I think, some uh, problem questions that have come up. And so on, on beginning a new generation page, what was that, what page? Yeah, I've got there, 24. 24 and 25 and 26, I think it is, yes. Uh, 26, uh, 24, 25, 26, 27. All right, now, put these chapters from Ezekiel, which I forgot to do the other day. Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 18, and 33. Those three chapters are basically repetitions, but it shows what a big issue it was in the time of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 18, chapter 33. The chapter we're going to pick out and concentrate on is particularly chapter 18, and sort of do a bit of a uh, running commentary uh, on that a, li- a little bit. So we'll stick to 18, but uh, if you want the full thing, you do chapter 3, chapter 18, chapter 33. All right, now, we're, we're, we're re- in this chapter, we've really sort of got a problem-solution, 
And so let's turn to uh, chapter 18, and uh, we'll start off with a few verses there. And uh, do remember that I'm a jigsaw puzzle teacher. We lay out all the parts of the puzzle and hopefully bring it together at the end there. And I want to thank you, thank uh, Yu Hong Sing for the invitation to be with you, and thank you for being such a wonderful, intelligent bunch of people. <laughs> oh, very good, still in the middle here and quiet over there. Okay, uh, okay so he, here's, here's the problem we've got. We'll, we'll do it as we go through. All right, so in verse uh, 1 of Exodus, uh, Exodus Ezekiel uh, 18, it says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, So you notice over and over again, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came, just that. Uh, in fact, some of the Hebrew believers, they put it this way, that the word of the Lord uh, was actually a, uh, like a Christophany. It was the Lord coming to them. And uh, you know how the Gospel of John starts. Uh, how many believe... And uh, do respond to me. Let me catch you now and then. Uh, how many believe that the word of the Lord came to Jesus? Hands, hands up. Don't, don't scratch. Oh, there, 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 there. You, you've sat under me many years. No, the word of the Lord didn't come to him. He was the word. Right, okay. So in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was made flesh. So the, uh, he, the word didn't come to him as it did to the prophets. He was the word, so that's okay. All right, so, but here, word of the Lord used so many times in Ezekiel and throughout the prophets, it was like the official uh, formula. And also some of the Hebrew believers say it was a, actually a Christophany. Uh, the the pre-incarnate word came to them. Anyway, that's an interesting thought. So the word of the Lord came to me again saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb? concerning the land of Israel, saying, uh, the, fa the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Uh, is that a saying that you use here in Malaysia? Uh, I mean, we do in Australia, we're used to, especially my old generation say, oh, he's sour grapes. Uh, yes, uh, so you do. So you are intelligent, okay. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, if you say anything you don't like, oh, <laughs> Brother Hong Sing's going like this, <laughs> on that intelligence, yeah. So we often say that, oh, sour grapes, he's always crying sour grapes. So what's happening here is that the, the, the fathers, and a couple of the translations put this way, our fathers have sinned, so I underline on my notes the word fathers, and we have borne their iniquities, or our fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So there, as I've got on the notes here, on page 24, just read that a little bit. Uh, sour grapes, it's the guilt and blame game. So what's happening in Ezekiel's time? This generation under, under Ezekiel, they've gone into Babylon captivity, temples being destroyed, the city's destroyed, the land's desolated, and they're in captivity. And so what are they doing? They're passing the buck, we say, and they're blaming their parents, say, well, our fathers, you know, have sinned. And they're no more, and we've bore their iniquities, and they've eaten sour grapes, and so we're getting the blame for it. So uh, this generation blames the previous generation for the problems it's in. So that's the whole thing. Captivity, the temple, and so forth, they're blaming. Now, let's go to letter B here. And this is something that really touched me uh, years ago, and I'll tell, uh, but we want to read it. It's what I call misinterpreted scripture quotations. And over my years, and I'm sure over your years, I've heard preachers say this, and because of what happened in my past life, uh, I came under such guilt, uh, blame, a guilt trip on the thing, and uh, so forth. So let's read the scriptures and look at these misinterpreted scripture quotations. And it wasn't until uh, when we get to see that the, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Kevin, go back to the original word. That was the thing. And it wasn't, wasn't until then that I felt God did something in my own life. Okay, so Exodus chapter 34. We're just going to work pretty systematically through this. And thank you for your prayers, for my voice. I can still shout. I didn't sing this morning. In fact... Uh, I used to be in a choir once, but now they asked me to sing Silent Night. <laughs> Let me finish. They asked me to sing Silent Night on a hill far away. <laughs> uh, 
I'm just letting you know what I go through, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and that's copyright. When you make sure you copy it right. Okay. All right. Where am I? I don't have those things on my note. It just comes out. So. Okay. Exodus 34. Would you stop that holy laughing there? All right, now as we go down to v uh, verse five, six, uh, uh, five to uh, five, six, seven, um, then we'll come to the background. So in verse five it says, "Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there, that's with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression." And uh, here's the thing that hit me, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the, th the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, uh, I've, I've never been, uh, you know, I've always been hesitant, let's put it that way, to talk about uh, my own experience. But uh, my parents, and I've just got to watch, I don't get emotional over this thing. When I wrote uh, the book, This Is My Story, uh, which people have sort of begged me to, and I sort of put it off because uh, I didn't, I, it was a hard book for me to write because I had to sort of relive emotionally a lot of things I'd been through as a kid. And uh, then I think, well, everybody's got a story. I go to China, went to Beijing, and saw people there when I was in Moscow. Uh, people who had a Bible, uh, been put in jail for 10 years, and I thought, you know, what have I got to write about? But we all have a story, but eventually I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And then I just felt impressed by the Lord as to say, this is my story with lessons I've learned along the way. And uh, this, uh, all glory to the Lord, blessing to me, but glory to him, is that uh, it's helped so many people because we all have a story, but sometimes we don't learn the lessons along the way. And uh, so in my experience, uh, one of the things that I went through, especially on this part, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children, the third and fourth generation. So uh, people would say how I was under a curse and everything like that, because when I was three months of age, uh, my parents dumped me. I've never known my father or mother, and uh, I was institutionalized. And uh, to tell you the truth, they were tough years. Uh, well, up to when I was 14, I wanted to commit suicide. And uh, Christians, to tell you the truth, were my worst enemies because they called me the nasty word. So, well, I never asked to be born. Uh, it's not my fault I'm here, you know. And, and when I was institutionalized in different institutions and people would come along and uh, parents would come along and visit other kids, I used to just really go through it and say, well, where's my mum and dad? Why don't they visit me? Where, why did my parents dump me? you know, three months of age, where are they? And uh, so just bad, bad, bad news. And uh, so I had a lot of struggle with that and then wanted to commit suicide. And then I think one of the tough scriptures when I uh, did become involved in, in ministry, uh, sometimes a scripture, it's a nasty scripture. I don't know if I've got it down here, but uh, yeah, if you want to put it down, it's a nasty scripture, Deuteronomy 23 verses two and eight. Deuteronomy 20, uh, 23, verse 2 and 8. And this scripture sometimes would come to me in the middle of the preaching. How many of you know that, uh, know that the devil knows the Bible? And he knows how to quote it and how to misquote it. He misquoted to Je Jesus in one of the temptations. And the devil can do that. And sometimes right in the middle of preaching, this scripture would come to me. An Ill illegitimate child is not to enter the congregation of the Lord. And uh, this was uh, not to happen to the third and fourth generation. So ministers would sort of say, well, I was under a curse the way I was born. I said, well, I never wanted to be born and never asked to. So uh, just to give you an idea of some of the struggles I had as a kid right till I came to Christ, yeah, when I was 14 years of age, just anything I am, you know, I've never been to Bible college in my life. And uh, this is no mock humility on my part. As I said, it's, it's a bit hard for me to share these things, but I was a dingling at school. I mean, know what a dingling is? I was a space cadet. I was a spacey kid, a dreamy, dopey. Uh, always wondering, well, who am I? Where am I? And then I was kicked from institution to institution. I was a, a, what we call a ward of the state under the government till I was 18. 
years of age and I joined the Air Force. Six months after I joined the Air Force, the war finished. Uh, 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 no thanks to me, just to qualify that. <laughs> okay. Then it took about a year to be demobilised and get back on the civilization. So uh, those early years were tough for me. As I said, I've never been in Bible college. I never got to university or anything. Uh, being in an institution, I got to the eighth grade and I was just a space cadet, dreamy, dopey and everything like that. So anything I am is the grace of God. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I, uh, someone told me, you must distinguish between the word blessing, uh, blessing and glory. Don't ever touch the glory. Receive the blessing. Because years ago I used to say, oh, well, thank you. Oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. No, it wasn't the Lord. It was me. Okay, God uses us. And so we learn to receive the blessing, but don't touch the glory. Give the glory back to him. So learn to distinguish those two words, blessing and glory. Give the glory to God, but receive the blessing. I, when I came here, as I shared this morning, I said, Lord, bless me and make me a blessing. So how many be, uh, have been blessed? And that's my blessing, see? So, well, blessing, so, well, thank you, Lord. You bless me to make me a blessing. My joy is fulfilled. So I just want to be a blessing whatever nation I go. Okay, so just, just gives you an idea what, uh, what I have to go through on that. Now, as you look at this, the context, and you've got it on your notes there, you must see this scripture where he says, visiting, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children, third, third and fourth generation. You've got to remember that, uh, that here, in the context, chapters 32 and 33 context is that the people have come to the edge of the promised land, they've come to Kadesh Barnea, and they've sent in 12 spies there, and uh, uh, when the spies came out, 10 of them said, it's great land, but... There's giants there. There were only two good spies there, Joshua and Caleb, who both said, look, they're, 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 they're bread for us, giant hamburgers. <laughs> Let's make them giant hamburgers. And they said, we can go in the land and possess the land. But you see, what happened? The tragedy is the 10 spies turned that whole congregation and the church in the wilderness, they actually robbed the church in the wilderness of the, of the promised land for 40 years. And they were all leaders. That was the thing that shocked me. They were all leaders. And so you think what Joshua and Caleb went through over those 40 years. I just did a study on, on uh, about 15 things that uh, Caleb must have gone through, you know. And you just think 40 years wandering in the wilderness while that generation dies out. And, and it was that generation that the Lord is talking to, you know, visiting iniquity of the fathers because they rejected, you know, they rejected all the miracles that God had done and everything like that. And uh, uh, in my sanctified imagination, you think at the end of the 40 years, uh, Joshua and Caleb still hanging on there, walking by faith, following the Lord 100%. And finally, there's somebody comes to Joshua and Caleb and say, oh, listen, there's a brother over here and uh, he's dying. Would you come and pray for him? And Joshua or Caleb says to him, what generation does he belong to? Oh, he's the old generation. Caleb says, let him die, let him die in the name of Jesus. I've been wandering around in this place for 40 years waiting for this generation to die out. And, and, and Caleb was 85 when he said, give me this mountain. I'm 83 plus. So I'm saying, God, give me this mountain because I believe there's a new generation that's entering into the promise of God and I'm looking at it today. Amen? Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm old Caleb still hanging in there. Yeah, so you have to read the context. They had been making the golden calf here in the surrounding context too, uh, having a rock festival, uh, golden calf idolatry, dancing before the Lord. In fact, I say, while God is making, out, making the Ten Commandments, the, while the commandments are in the making, they're also in the breaking. Because God said, don't have any other gods beside me and don't make any graven image. And Aaron's down in the valley there having a, a golden calf and the rock festival there. And Moses comes down and he actually demonstrates to the people what they've done. He breaks the tables of stone, demonstrating to them, you've already, while the commandments are in the making, they're in the breaking. So he broke that. And so it's that generation that the Lord is talking to. And so he says, okay, iniquity of the fathers of the third and fourth generation. And so the first generation come out of Egypt, now the second generation, and they rejected the land. So that's what you've got to see. Okay, Numbers chapter 14, let's go to the next one here. 
uh, which I've really sort of touched on. That one was mainly about the, go the golden calf and God told Moses to make a new table of stone. And uh, the, the next one, number two here, numbers 14, 17, 17 to 18, the same language. Uh, so it says, And now I beseech, you, I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you've spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by uh, no means clears the guilty, and this is the thing, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. So here we have, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and we kids, we're paying the price of it. The children's teeth are set on edge, so it's our father's fault. And so here's the same thing. And, uh, and again, oh, well, I've already referred to the story. The Kadesh Barnea, the 12 spies, the leaders, and they robbed the church in the wilderness, as it's called, in, uh, so in the context. So that was the picture. Now, under letter C, uh, eventually as I got older, got over my suicide tendencies and things like that, I remember sleeping up a tree one night. I didn't want to meet people and did a lot of stupid things as a kid. Uh, I felt as I was praying, going through this and thinking of what ministers said to me, well, it's the sins of your fathers on you to the third and fourth generation, everything like that. And uh, yeah, as I said, you know, sometimes I'll be preaching this scripture, an illegitimate child will not enter the congregation of the Lord to so many generations. And I thought, I shouldn't be here, you know. Anyway, eventually I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Kevin, go back to the original word. So I want you to go back to me with the original word where it was originally spoken and read it properly because this is what set me free. And as I said, if this doesn't help you, I mean, you may have had wonderful parents and everything, but I've had to deal with it. Uh, we, are, we are actually, especially in Western world, we're dealing with a fatherless generation. I've had so many kids come to me and say, Brother Connor, you don't know, you don't understand. And they tell me, you know, my parents dumped me or I was institutionalized or my parents got divorced and this is what, you know. I said, well, after I let them talk for an hour, I say, I think I do understand. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20 to the original word. And there's uh, just two little words to fill in here. Uh, so Exodus ch chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, we have the giving of the, the original giving of the Ten Commandments. So let's go through uh, particularly verses, uh, uh, we'll pick up in verse uh, 5 and 6. So we've got commandment number 1, don't have any other gods be before me. Commandment number 2, don't make any graven image. Now let's continue on there, from, uh, we'll pick up verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now listen carefully here, and I've circled two words, because these are words that uh, release me. Visiting the, iniquity, uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. So the fathers are children, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and we the children, our teeth are set on edge. It's our father's fault. Uh, to the third and fourth generation of those who, everybody say the next word, me. who hate me. But, everybody say but. But, but showing mercy to, uh, to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So you fill in them that hate me. And it suddenly dawned on me. Pardon me, I've got to watch I don't cry. I, Lord, I do love you. I do love you. In spite of it, in spite of my natural birth, I do love you. And so you fill in them that hate me, the visiting and the iniquity of the fathers of the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. But showing mercy to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. So you fill in is them that hate me, them that love me and keep my commandments. I love the Lord. And the Lord showed me how I could begin a new generation. That's what this lesson's about. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. So Exodus chapter 21 through 17, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy 5. And so the issue is, this is the bottom line, the original word is visiting iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those that hate him. And I realize I don't hate him. Okay, everybody say hallelujah. All right, now, if we really understand, and I'm sorry to say this, but having been through this over the years, uh, I, I study these things out. So 
uh, under letter D now, the outline of Ezekiel 18, 1 to 3. So verses 1 through to 3 we've read. Uh, we have the false proverb, and God says, you're using that proverb, but you're not going to use it any longer. Now, the, the, the next thing I want you to pick up, and uh, I think it's already there, but maybe you'd like to rewrite again. The main lesson of, uh, of Ezekiel chapter 3, 18 and 33 is individual responsibility and individual accountability. So if you underline that, whatever. So I've got it there individual responsibility individual so we when we stand before the lord we're not going to be able uh, be able to pass the buck or you know put on to somebody else a blame well it's not my fault you know if we're going to go back in generations and this uh, concerns me about some of the generational curses that people talk if i'm going to go back to generational curses which some felt i was under because of the way i was born i say oh, i'm going to go back to adam and eve <laughs> that's where the, the the problem began so we can get in generational curses and i sometimes see this in counseling where you've got to go back to your generation because your father did this your mother did this or it's okay let's go break the curse of generation uh, that's what I want to talk about here okay so uh, under section 2 all God says let's go back to Ezekiel and follow a little bit through your Bible on it everybody doing okay so Ezekiel 18 let's go to the next uh, verses here I broke the chapter up uh, verse 4 so he says behold all souls are mine the soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine and if you want to put daughter in there, that's okay. The soul who sins shall die. So what's the verse teaching us? That every individual person belongs to God. All souls belong to God. The soul of the Father. So don't go blaming your Father. And the soul of the Son. They, they, they belong to the Lord. And the issue is the soul who sins that dies. So what's the whole thing there? individual responsibility and individual accountability okay so that's the picture now as you see on the diagram on the uh, PowerPoint here this chapter goes through at least four uh, three gen at least three generations so uh, we're not going to read all the verses but just help you as you look at this later on he goes through three generations so now in uh, verses five to nine we have the first generation. You've got it on the, on the PowerPoint there. So first generation is, but if a man is just. So the first, the first generation here, we might say the man is just. He does what is lawful and right. And he hasn't eaten on the mountains. And he hasn't been given to idolatry. Uh, hasn't defiled his neighbor's wife. Adultery. Uh, not approached a woman during her, her impurity. Uh, no oppression. Restored to the debtor, he's pledged, he hasn't robbed anybody, thou shalt not steal. All these are allusions to the Ten Commandments. Given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked. He's not uh, give, been given a usury uh, and so forth. Executed true judgment and if he's walked in my ways. So you notice verses 5 through to 9, it's the first generation. And first generation is just, lawful and right. And what's his reward? The Lord ends up saying in verse 9, If he has walked in my search and kept my judgment faithfully, he is just. He shall sure, in other words, we would say justified, just by, justified by faith and, uh, and obeying the commandments of the Lord. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. So verses 5 through to 9 is first generation, a father. Then when you go to verse 10 through to 13, it's the second generation. So it's really important. It took me a, a while to sort of sort all this out. But second generation. So verses 10 through to 13 is the second generation. Now what we note in this language is that the son, so the father is first generation, the son, the second generation, he learns from his father. And I remember being in a situation uh, many, many years ago and I was sitting there and I was thinking, Lord, I'm not learning anything here. I'm not learning. And I just felt the Holy Spirit impress me. If you don't learn what to do, you'll learn what not to do. And if you learn what not to do, you will have learned. And so under this particular leader, I think he's going to be with the Lord, hopefully. Uh, turned out bad at the end. But I just said, Lord, help me not to do that. When, you know, I become involved in full ministry, help me not to do that. Uh, yeah. He became a bit of a saw throwing javelins. I said, help me not to do that on the people. So listen to verse 10, just a little bit of it. 
if he begets a son, so a second generation here, uh, and th this son is lawless, he's a robber, thou shalt not steal. He's a shed of blood, do not murder. Who does any of these things, that does none of these duties, but he's eaten on the mountains, uh, defiled his neighbor's wife, adultery, he's robbed the poor, not restored the pledge. In other words, he just follows, uh, it ends up in verse 13. Shall he then live? He shall not live. If he's done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood will be upon him. So, individual accountability. First generation, second generation. Now, go to, so you've got it on your notes there, the second uh, uh, generation, the son follows his father. So he's not going to live, he's going to die. His blood is on his own head. Okay, now let's go to the third generation, and this third generation would be like a grandson. Now, this grandson... He learns what not to do from his, uh, from his father and from his grandfather. So, we've got in verse, uh, uh, I got this right, verse 14 to 18. You can read the whole thing yourself between now and uh, when Jesus comes or the millennium. Unless you're in the millennium. I've got some friends who are already in the millennium. And they tell me the devil's bound. I say, well, if the devil's bound, who's carrying on his job? And they say he's on a long chain. And, <laughs> and being, in a, being an Australian, the old bathroom we used to, you have to pull the chain. I said, well, why don't you pull it and flush it? Okay, <laughs> let's get back to the Bible. So, so verses 14 to 18. So now it says, now, if however he begets a son, which would be like the third generation, who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise, nor uh, he's, uh, has not eaten on the mountains, he hasn't lifted up his eyes, he hasn't committed adultery or anything like that. He just learns from his father and thinks, okay, I'm not going to follow in my father's footsteps. He went bad and my grandfather was bad. In other words, what am I saying here? He actually can begin a new generation. That's it. It's individual accountability, individual responsibility, individual accountability. So just summarizing on uh, page, uh, your next page there, 25, up the top there. So third generation, a grandson, he learns from his father what not to do. And uh, I tell students, I tell everyone, make everything a learning experience. Learn, learn, you know, lessons I've learned along the way. So, Lord, help me not to do that. I can learn. You know, don't take the attitude, well, I'm not learning anything. You can learn what not to do. You can learn what to do. So, learn. Uh, so, he won't die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. His father will die in his own iniquity. Where, where do we go on that? Uh, yes, verse uh, 18. Oh, verse 17, we'd better read. Who has withdrawn his hand for, uh, from the poor and not received usury, but has execu executed my judgments and walked my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely li live. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed and robbed his brother by violence and did what is not good among his people, he shall die for his iniquity. So I can't emphasize that enough. It's individual responsibility individual accountability. Alright, so go on to number six on your notes there. The son will not die for the father, nor the father for the son. I've, got, I've spelled it out there because that's the main point of the chapter. Individual and personal responsibility and accountability for his own righteousness or wickedness. Now, let me say this. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you are parents, but uh, I've seen this over the years that so many parents uh, sort of blame themselves, say, well, you know, one son was good, one daughter was bad, and we just feel it's our fault. Uh, it can be, but not necessarily. How many know that uh, uh, Adam and Eve had one good kid and one bad kid? Abel turned out real good. Cain turned out bad. Eh? But it was individual accountability, individual responsibility. And so we'll see this later on. So lots of godly people. The family, sometimes they turn out good, sometimes they turn out bad. Uh, it can be, uh, the parents can contribute it, but not always. There's still individual uh, responsibility and accountability. All right, so going down to verse 24 uh, here, God does not want anybody to die in their sins. So in verse 24, uh, is it 24? No, I've got, the mis got a mistake there. 
Okay, verse 18 anyway. Uh, the father will die for his, for his own iniquity. All right, now let's go to point seven on, uh, on your page 25 here. And we want to talk about God's ways are equal. Uh, I think we're f ready for the next one on that, uh, Noel. The scales. Okay, you've got that. Okay, now look, look here. Um, oh, the, the old King James I prefer on this. Let's go down to verse uh, 29 for a little bit, then I'll come back. Or verse, sorry, verse 25. That, I mean, it's all, it's all so good. What's happening here, and uh, like the, the scales here, what are the children of Israel saying in Ezekiel's time? So it says in verse 25, Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Uh, the New King James sort of alters the word equal and says it's fair, not fair. I don't, I don't like that word. I'd rather stick to unequal. And so in verse 25, the way of the Lord is not equal. Here now, our house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? And then in verse 29, repeat, yet says the, the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? New King James, which I don't like on this part, it says uh, the, the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not fair. Do you use that, that expression here? Oh, it's not fair. Uh, I, do, I don't like it. I'll tell you why in a minute. O house of Israel, is, not my ways, uh, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways uh, are not fair? I don't like that because uh, this is what I say. Um, Australian fairness is contrary to biblical justice. So people use it so much, oh well we've got to be fair to everybody and so uh, you know you've got to be fair to the criminals, got to be fair to this one, got to be fair to everybody. They say, hey, Australian fairness is contrary often to biblical justice. God is not fair, God is just. So now let's look at this uh, and you see a lot of our courts, sorry to say, uh, there's a lot of judgment but not just judgment. It's, they're trying to be fair to everybody. What about the people who've been killed? What about the people who've been murdered? Oh, we've got to be fair to them and just put them in jail for a little while, smack them with a wet noodle, give them a television, telephone, telegram, telewoman. Um, <laughs> fairness, fairness. Hey, what about some justice? That's what I'm talking about. So they're saying, okay, the ways of God are not equal. And God is saying, your ways are not equal. Now, as you see on your diagram there and here, uh, we've got the guilt and the blame game. Our fathers have eaten sour grapes, and we poor kids, we're getting the blame. It's what they did. Okay? So it's a whole guilt and blame game. Now, let's look at this. First of all, if you put uh, one side uh, on, on one side of the scale, then it can sort of go up like that, out of balance. And then uh, you get the blame, guilt and blame. You know, it all began in the Garden of Eden. You know, when Adam and Eve uh, partook of the forbidden tree and God came on the scene and said, Where are you, Adam? And Adam said, Hiding up the fig tree. And so God asked the question, and God knew it. He just wanted Adam and Eve to confess it. He said, Have you eaten of the tree? In fact, the first questions uh, in the Bible, who, what, where, why, and how, uh, God asked them all. I got it from him. Where are you, Adam? What have you done? Have you eaten? Who told you you were naked? I mean, <laughs> all came from God. Who, what, why, where, and how? So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I got it from. So God says to Adam, have you eaten of the tree? Who told you were naked? And so what did Adam do? It's a whole guilt and blame game. So Adam said, the woman you gave me. I was all right till I woke up and found myself married. <laughs> now you're laughing with me, not at me, okay, because I know you're guilty of it, see? And so Adam blames God. I was all right. When I was single, my pockets used to jingle. No wife, no strife, what a life. The woman you gave me. So he, bl he blames God. And then after he blames God, then he blames the woman. The woman, she gave me to eat. So we got the guilt and blame game. And then God said to the woman, what have you done? And so she gets into the guilt and blame game. She blames the serpent and says, the snake, he told me. How, how, they tell me if uh, Adam and Eve had been Chinese, Malay, they would have eaten the snake. 
No more trouble. End of, <laughs> end of story. A sushi. <laughs> right? See? I'm not too dumb altogether now. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it was the guilt and blame game. Of course, then when the devil, uh, when, no, when the Lord turned to the serpent, he didn't have a leg to stand on. So, you know. <laughs> right? Uh, are you, uh, are you, uh, did you get that over there? <laughs> over here? All right, yeah. So you, you should have musical chairs and that lot sit here and you sit over there. Anyway, yeah, so you get the point. So guilt and blame game. All right, now let's see what God's response is. Because we're all individually accountable and indiv uh, individually responsible and therefore individual responsibility leads to individual accountability. That's it. Okay, now let's go to verse, uh, uh, let's see. 19, yes, 19. So ex uh, Ezekiel 18, verse 19. Yet you say, why should, not the, uh, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. That's it, individual. So nobody's going to stand before and, and pass the buck type of thing. You know, there can be contributing factors, but we're still individually responsible, accountable. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now, I want you to note verse 21 through to 23, and uh, I don't want to read the whole chapter to you, but here, here's the point. If a wicked man turns from all his sins which is committed, keeps all my statutes and does which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And none of the transgressions which is committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. And God says, do I have any pleasure uh, at all that, uh, that the wicked should die and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Now, verse 24 is very important. And you see, this is where, as we said on our first night, Part of Ezekiel's call was he was called to be a, a, a priest, a prophet, a watchman. Now, what is the watchman to do? If you sort of flip your minds back there to a first session, the, the, the watchman is to warn the, right, the wicked without and warn the righteous within. It's a two-way street, so message of warning. So what does he say in verse 24? But when a righteous man... And the, 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 this verse answers a question that we had yesterday. Can a, can a born-again Christian become unborn? In other words, can you lose your security or do we believe in eternal security? I say, no, listen to this verse. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits an iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? Is he eternally secure? Is he once saved, always saved? That the answer is no. All the righteousnesses, righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. And yet you say, oh, the way of the Lord is not fair. It's not equal. My ways are equal. Now, let's look at the scales. So on the one side of the scale, if a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, and turns to the Lord, none of his wickednesses shall be remembered. Only his right. How many think that's wonderful? Amen. It, it is. It's wonderful. I mean, you think of some of the wicked kings of Judah and how Manasseh particularly, one of the worst kings. Ahab, one of the worst kings. But when Manasseh, he did come to the Lord and all his wickednesses shall not be remembered. The thief on the cross, the repentant thief, he, uh, you know, after cursing the Lord with the other thief, he came to see there was something different about Jesus and, and he called him Lord. That was a revelation. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Jesus looked anything but a king. Crowned with thorns, his back beaten and uh, crucified and everybody cursing him and so forth. I mean, to call him Lord... And, and recognize he's got a king, a kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow, all his wickedness that he's done, nothing will be remembered. Only that he didn't have a, even a chance to serve the Lord. But he came to Christ on the cross. The other thief didn't. 
And so you think, I mean, the grace of God, when I think of some of the uh, people that you know, that I know, so, well, it's the mercy of God, none of their wickedness. But then the other side of the scale is too, true, true too. If a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. And the, the key part somewhere here is that if he dies in his iniquity. So I talked about the other night a little bit, but some of the extreme cases I've seen where people have been, you know, were using people being saved here, filled with the Spirit, and yet behind the scenes they're committing homosexuality, adultery, smoke and drinking, carrying on like that, abusing the grace of God. Because uh, uh, I went through this a uh, number of years ago where uh, people got into what I call greasy grace and they said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the more we sin, the more we can experience the grace of God. I said, well, read the next verse. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Grace abuses. And see, this is the issue. These things, you know, history, the only thing we learn from history is we never learn from history. And so that's it. So if a righteous man, so is that eternal security? And because I've dealt with some of these people, I'm so, sorry to say this, but one man that I dealt with in Australia who said I was discovering, he, he got into adultery with 18 women in his church. But he operated the gifts of the Spirit, built a magnificent church, Everything like that. I preached for him a number of times. He said I was his covering. And when we faced him, oh, well, I, you know, once, once saved, always saved. I'm eternal secure. Once in grace, always in grace, even if I live in disgrace. You can't do it. See? The danger is, I mean, he did come back to the Lord. I remember a brother who was very strong on eternal security. Once in grace, always in grace, even if I live in disgrace. Had a beautiful wife, beautiful family. But he got into all the sins of Romans 1, got smoking, and drinking and immorality, homosexuality, everything. So he phoned me from Sydney, asked me to come from Melbourne and to see him and could I help him. So I did. So I'm going to be very rough here, but being an Australian, I hung him over hell so he could feel the flames. So I said, if you die tonight, the way you're living, are you eternally secure? Are you going to go straight in the presence of the Lord? Well, he wasn't sure. But he came back to the Lord, repented. But you see, it was an abuse of the doctrine of, of the grace of God. So this is very, very, very clear. If a righteous man turns away from his mind, none of his righteousness shall be remembered. Wow, that's pretty heavy. So on one side of the scales... If a wicked man turned from his wickedness, none of it shall be remembered, just what he serves the Lord. But if a righteous man, my ways are equal. Balancing the scales. That's it. Okay, let's go down to verse 25. Uh, a few more moments here. Uh, so verse 25, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair or not equal. Let's go back to old King James on that. Um, uh, o house of Israel, hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? And then he goes on, the righteous man, uh, I'm just trying to find that. Uh, yes, verse 26, if you mark your Bible, underline this part. That's, that's the key to it, because uh, uh, a little bit of theology. I believe that there is a difference between a backslider and an apostate. A backslider can come back to the Lord. An apostate cannot come back to the Lord. So let me illustrate. Uh, a, a backslider... David the king became a backslider, but he came to repentance, came back to the Lord. He was pardoned but punished. King Saul, he became an apostate and ended up seeking a spirit, a familiar spirit. So there's a difference between a backslider. So the first two kings of Israel illustrate this. Uh, king Saul became an apostate. He turned from the Lord. The Holy Spirit left him and he sought to an evil spirit. David was a backslider repented and came back to the Lord, uh, never sort of forgave himself, but he was pardoned but punished. Okay, now, two apostles in the New Testament illustrate the same thing. Peter became a backslider. He cursed the Lord out, but he wept bitterly. I mean, when Jesus, we're just told Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Uh, what sort of a look do you think it was? A dirty look? Say, I told you so, I knew you'd deny me. No, 
It was, it was a look that Jesus gave that broke something in Peter's heart that needed to be broken. He was so self-confident. And Jesus just looked at him, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Yeah, something happened. So Peter was a backslider, came back to the Lord. But Judas, like King Saul, he became an apostate. And like King Saul committed suicide, Judas committed suicide. So you've got to understand that. So now, I said all that to say this. Let's go to verse 26. And if you mark your Bible, this is the key to it. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and here it is, and dies in it. If he dies in his iniquity, that's it. While he's alive, there's a possibility that God might convict him and he'll come back to the Lord. But if he dies in iniquity, it, it is because the iniqu uh, of the iniquity which is done that he dies. That's it. So if he dies in it, if he dies in his sin, that's it. It's too late. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he's committed, does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgression which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. It's not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal and your ways unequal? That's it. Okay, so let's uh, go back to number 7 on your next page, page 25. So... I spend a lot of time on that number seven. God's ways are equal. Your ways are not equal. God's scales of justice. And so you've got the two little boxes there. The wicked, if he turns from his wicked, none of his wickedness shall be remembered. He shall, uh, he shall live. Only his righteousness will be remembered. But if the righteous turns from his righteousness, and verse 26, if he dies in his iniquity, his righteousness shall not be remembered. You know, that, that has been a great challenge to me over the years. I'd hate to, you know, I, I, I accepted the Lord when I was a kid of 14, uh, as a frightened little suicidal kid. But uh, I don't know if I told you this, uh, you know, I, I told the ministers, didn't I? Yeah, so, but let me just repeat it here. Um, when I was 75, I think, when I was 75, um, a, a brother and his wife, they were having a, uh, end time seminar they wanted me to do and I did that and I was I was converted when I was a kid of 14 in the Salvation Army and uh, they had the the Salvation Army had closed down their meetings at that time so I had the end time seminar in the Salvation Army in Burke Street Melbourne and uh, at the end of the seminar I just felt I need to share with the people and so as I was uh, I closed the seminar I said okay I'm going to close the seminar and I said I want to tell you something Help me, Lord. I said, 60 years ago or so, I was a little frightened kid on the back seat of the very auditorium I'm in, in the Salvation Army, on the back seat. And in those days, the Salvation Army used to have what they called fishers of men. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And uh, so when they had an altar call there, Salvation Army, they would go around fishing for people if they didn't know the Lord. And I remember this salvationist came to me as a kid of 14, so remember how I was, and said to me, have you ever accepted prices? I said, no. She said, would you like to? I said, yes. And the, the band was playing a song, only accepted Jesus. Why not take it now? Come in your sins confessing, you will receive a blessing. Do not reject the mercy he freely offers to, to you. So she took me out to what the Salvation Army called the penitent form, uh, the mercy seat, and I knelt there. And here was the amazing thing. I realized that I was standing on the very spot where as a kid of 14, 60 years or so before, I had knelt and given my heart to the Lord. And I could look back over all those years, and they were not wasted years. God's grace. And I remember as a kid in the Salvation Army at the last there, how some of the old Salvationers would say they would get up and they would just weep. That's why I feel so emotional about this. And they would say, when I was young, I accepted the Lord as my Savior. But he said, they, they would say, how I got older, I backslid, turned away from the Lord, and I've just come back to the Lord. And they would just cry and cry and say, wasted years, wasted years, wasted years. And that had such an impression on me. I said, Lord, help me not to waste my years. And so I can look back now at 83 years of age and say, God, I've got over 60 years or more. 
that I've served the Lord. I haven't wasted your life. Please, people, don't waste your years. Don't backslide. Don't slip away from the Lord. Serve God. You can do it as God has given me grace. How many can say amen to that? Yeah. Just God. Thank you, Lord. Wasted years. Okay, let's uh, come in for a landing on this. Sorry about this. But these things are very deep in my heart. Okay, let's go to number eight then as we uh, sort of try and finish this out. Taking a few minutes extra here because we've got a bit of uh, extra time. So under number eight, God will judge with justice. That's it. God not only judges, but he judges with justice according to a person's own way. So in those verses 32, 30 to 32, God calls to repentance. So he says in verse 30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord God. Repent. Change your mind. Turn. Repent and turn. So repentance is a change of mind and turning is a change of direction. Turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. And you can see how important the chapter is because he does three chapters on it. Chapter 3, chapter 18 and chapter 33. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart, the new King James. Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Wow. Make you a new heart, but get yourself. And, and you see, the promises in Ezekiel chapter 11, which I've given you, chapter 36 is, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I'll put my spirit. The promise is there. And this is God's altar call. So come to the mercy seat. Come to the penitent form and, and repent. Change your mind. Turn about. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house, uh, uh, o house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. Wow, that's the gospel. That's the gospel message. That's what we're speaking to people. So, so uh, turn so that iniquity will not be your own promise of a new heart and a new spirit. Why don't you put the two scriptures in Ezekiel on the new heart and the new spirit? We've already looked at them previously, Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20, Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20, and Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 28, one more time, so Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20, and Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 28, so new covenant promises, okay now, just bear with me a few more minutes, I'm taking a, a few extra minutes here, and then we'll give you a break, uh, down letter E, individual responsibility and accountability so that's the whole punchline in these three chapters Ezekiel 18 is probably the best uh, the scriptures I've put there I'm, I've written them out here so you I just encourage you to read them uh, Ezekiel 18 20 I've, I've typed them out the soul that sins shall die the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father nor the father bear the iniquity or the guilt of the son. Second Kings 14, 6, it's all on there. I've just typed them out. The father shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall their children be put to death for their father. Every person shall be put to death for his own sin. And then Deuteronomy 24, 16. Uh, the father shall not be put to death for their children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every person shall be put to death for his own sin. So this passing the buck, oh, you know, the fathers have sinned and they've eaten sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. No. Second uh, Chronicles 25, you've got it there. Uh, it's a repeat of the previous commandment, as in the law of Moses and then the uh, Jeremiah 31. In those days they shall say no more. So remember, Jeremiah's up in uh, Jerusalem saying the same thing as Ezekiel saying down in Babylon to the captives there. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on, set on edge, but edges. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So as I finish on this part and go a little bit to the last, we have to handle with care the words of Exodus 20, where the iniquity of the fathers are visited to the, on, the, on the children of the third and fourth generation. It is to those who hate him. But there's mercy to those who love him. How many love him this afternoon? So we're not to be too hard 
on King David or fathers today, how many know that good fathers and bad fathers all produce sinful children who in due time become individually responsible and also individually accountable to the Lord. Okay, let's go to the last little bit on, on the next page here. And uh, we put the diagram there. Oh, uh, one other thing. Are you doing all right? Can you bear with me a little bit? I think you've got in your uh, diagram uh, illustrations of the generations, uh, like that one. You've got that one there? Okay, put that in. Uh, okay, let me say thing here. Now, under letter F, as we sort of come in for a landing here, uh, biblical, biblical and life examples. Under the kings of Israel and Judah, um, have, have, have we got that on the PowerPoint? No, not thank you. No, no. no. Uh, maybe we haven't. Okay, let me say it to you. When you go through the history of the kings of Israel and Judah, uh, which uh, was one of the books I, I wrote before I took sick, um, you find Hezekiah, number one generation, a godly king. He had a son in the extended 15 years. He really should have gone to be with the Lord and be done with it. Uh, by, the, by the name of Manasseh, he was a wicked king, one of the worst kings out in the uh, house of Judah. But he eventually came to the Lord. Then uh, he had a son, which is third generation by the name of Ammon, who was bad, bad news. But then he had a son by the name of Josiah, and Josiah was a good king. So you see Hezekiah, good king, first generation, second generation, Manasseh, bad, uh, came eventually to the Lord before he died. Ammon, he had a son, bad news, bad son, third generation, Josiah, fourth. So you see each generation is individually accountable to the Lord, that's it. And then I've given you the scriptures there, Second Timothy and Second Timothy there, you'll find that when Paul writes uh, to Timothy, his son in the faith, he talks about your grandmother, number one generation, Lois. And then uh, his mother, uh, Eunice, second generation. Timothy's uh, third generation. He had, a great, uh, he had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And yet Timothy, Paul says, from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures. So th first, second, and third generation. Let me read this as I sort of come in for total landing here. Uh, I got this from Paul. Paul said in the epistle to the Philippians, finally, three times. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. I got this tract years ago, and it's interesting of two generations. He's an ungodly generation, and his name was Mr. Jukes. And they traced 1900 descendants. Of the 1900 descendants of Mr. Jukes, 771 were criminals, 250 were arrested and tried for crimes, 60 were thieves and spent 120 years in prison, 39 were convicted for murder, 40 of the women had venereal diseases, 10 only learned a trade and that was in prison. And the total years spent in prison at that time, 1,300 years, and cost the government over $2 million to prosecute and maintain them in prison in the poorhouses. That's an ungodly. Listen on the positive side. On the godly side, there was a man by the name of Mr. Edwards, and they traced 1,344 descendants. 295 were college graduates. 13 were college professors, 65 were presidents, 186 were ministers of the gospel, 101 were lawyers, 86 became state senators, uh, 3 were congressmen, 1 was a vice president of the USA, 70, 75 were laymen and Sunday school teachers. In the whole record of this family, none were arrested for or tried for crime. Wow. Let me finish on this. Conclusion. You can begin a new generation. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. If any man or woman, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Everything becomes new. How many can say amen? amen. So in Christ. And let me finish with this. I tell you, I am a new generation. And here's the miracle of it. Kevin Connor, once I saw it, I love him, I don't hate him, I want to keep his commandments. I began a new generation. My son Mark, some of you know my son Mark, he's got red hair, 
beautiful, tall, handsome son that I look up to. He's about six foot four. People say to me, where does he get his red hair from? Stupid question, I say, off my chest. Stupid. <laughs> stupid question, Warren's a stupid answer. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to finish here, okay. And, and, and so, first generation, KJC, and second generation, Mark Connor. My third generation, I've just married my first grandson, Mark's son, and he's a preacher and coming on in the word of the Lord, third generation. And I told him when I married him, hurry up and have kidlets so we have fourth generation. <laughs> so God shows mercy to thousands of them that love him, keep his commandments to the third and fourth generation. You can begin a new generation. And if this doesn't help you, I hope you can use it to help others. Everybody said amen. amen. Go and take a break. I'm over time. God bless you. Thank you. Wow. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.